Welcome to the Mastery Matrix podcast. I am your host, Kyrie, and on this side of the podcast world, we geek out on human potential and transformation. You know how to disrupt ourselves, elevate to mastery, and build our mind, body, spirit, and systems for greatness. I hope you're ready, guys, because I am. Let's go. All right, welcome back to another episode. I have today a really exciting interview. I have David Chedic on uh, this recording with me. And the reason why I wanted to bring David is because he is a certified financial planner. He has a lot of that financial knowledge and expertise that I love to tap into. Uh, David empowers his clients to make the best possible financial decisions for the reasons that are important to them. So very value-based. And basically he works on developing plans and strategies for business owners and individuals in all different areas of financial planning to make sure that you're retiring the best way possible and you get to the hard work that you did, you actually get to enjoy it as well. So David, huge welcome to you. I'm very excited for today's episode. Well, I am super excited to be here, and I love speaking to audiences of business owners. Business owners, it's such a wonderful journey, and I love my business owner journey because I am one, but it also can be a lonely and a very difficult journey. Uh, lots um, Lots of people will look at a business owner, and they see some of the rewards that you reap over time, but they don't see the times where literally... Maybe your employees get paid and you don't, or when you're personally guaranteeing a loan. So love entrepreneurship, and I'm really here to be a resource to entrepreneurs. I love it. And I am also fascinated by them because of their dedication and every ounce of hard work that goes into this. And so this actually brings me to my first question to you, because you are an entrepreneur as well. I'm very intrigued to know like what got you into your line of work and what drives you to help people with their finances so most of us our our attitudes and feelings about money are really they derive from our childhood so growing up my family did not have a tremendous amount of money but that was normal to me but i did hear things like we don't have we can't afford that or if we would go to a restaurant it may be you know you can get this dinner this dinner but you can't get this dinner and and that was fine that was normal but then as you get older you start seeing that not everybody has those restrictions and not everybody has those limitations so i, I was always kind of fascinated about money so when i got um uh, into college, I drove a lot from where I lived to school, and I listened to uh, Money Talk, a, a, a radio talk show, and I would hear these these concepts about how people would buy a stock and then they would sell it, and they made a lot of money, like more money than I would make in several years. And I and that was never something that I was exposed to as a kid, as far as investments or anything like that. So it got me fascinated with that took some business courses and, and kind of just, I had a, I had a, um, you know, just a journey that took me through to where I started with a small company as a financial services representative. And then I had a chance to buy my own practice and got my CFP. And, and um, one of the things that I always ask clients or anybody is how many financial problems do you have that are either self-caused or not or not self-prevented? And the answer is probably most. Oh, of I love them. that. <laughs> so if we could take away all or almost all of any of our financial problems that are that are self-caused or not self-prevented, 
that gives us a better and easier and less stressful freaking life. And that is kind of the goal of everything. I absolutely love that. Uh, We are going to have to add that to the show notes. I want every single one of you listening to take this question that David just asked and tag it somewhere on your computer, somewhere where you see it every day so that you actually focus on this because it's actually so true. A lot of it could be prevented and a lot of it could be solved if we just took the step and took the time right, Mm -hmm. to do it. Now, one of the reasons, David, as I shared with you that I was really excited to get to talk to you today is that in my job, like I get to work with the most amazing team on helping our seven, our six and seven figure business owners create a sellable, scalable and self-led company. And uh, when you filled out even your application to be on the, 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 the call today, the, um, the, the forum to be on the call with me today, you mentioned something. I was like, oh, my God, yes, I need to talk to David for sure. And it was that many business owners neglect the value of what is probably their biggest asset, which is their business. They're so in the business, but there are things that they can do to ensure that they increase the value of their business to be able to sell it for a higher multiple when they're ready to sell that. So in your mind, what can a business owner do to determine the value of their business and what factors are considered? So one of the things that a purchaser is buying when they buy a business is is what the likely future cash flow is. Mm-hmm. So you're buying an ATM machine in essence. So if you look at Blockbuster, Blockbuster had a tremendous amount of revenue at points, literally billions of dollars, but as the potential for future cash flow uh decreased, literally not only was there not a Blockbuster couldn't optimize their sale. They literally went out of business because they weren't keeping up with um, with the time. So um, I'm a certified value builder advisor, and there are eight uh, drivers of business value, eight areas that if you kind of maximize these, then a potential buyer would be more attracted to pay a premium for your business. So we can go through one or two of them or whatever amount that you'd like, but but one of the biggest one is what we call the, the hub and spoke model, which basically means everything goes through the business owner. And if everything goes through the business owner, number one, the business owner has a job. And number two, the business owner is a limiting factor. And number three, if I buy your business and everybody wants to, all the customers just want to deal with you personally, and you're solving all the problems, more than likely when you're no longer the owner, a lot of those customers are not going to be customers anymore. So why would I want to pay a premium for that business that people that are going to leave because they're not dealing with you personally anymore? Love it. Love it. Well, that's one of them. I'd love for you. And just to tap, tap, I'd love for you to go over a couple more and then I'll invite anybody to, who wants to have like the full list and so on to reach out to you. But quick thing about the delegation. If you go actually, as I'm recording this on April 27th, my podcast episode, if you go back and listen to it is all about why delegation is important for a CEO. And one of the reasons that I mentioned is because of the value of your business that you want to build. Like if you want to be able to sell your company, delegation and having a system for that is super important. So I love that you brought that up. What are some of the other elements, like the the other really core elements, uh, David? Yeah, one of them is 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 a value driver that we call the Switzerland structure. And what it does is Switzerland has always been um, an individual country that didn't have strong relationships with other countries. So they didn't really depend on anybody or any other country. 
So let's say that you own a company and 80% of your of your revenue comes from one customer or one sector. Um, I would not want to buy your co- your company from you at a premium price because that's just, there's no diversification there. So if that one company uh, leaves you as a customer or if that one industry leaves you, or even let's say you're selling all of your products on Amazon. Well, Amazon's awesome, but there have been lots of other selling platforms that have come and gone. Uh, let's say that 80% of your revenue is coming from one of your sales reps. Well, what if that sales rep leaves? Uh, what if um, what if you're you're dependent on one technology? So you want to not be dependent on any one supplier, any one technology, any one sector, any one customer. So that's that's one of our value drivers that a lot of people don't look at because it's let's face it, it's great to have that huge account, right? That that account that pays a lot of your a lot of your expenses, but uh, nobody stays a client forever. And especially after businesses change hands, you know, that's when some shakeups occur. So you don't want to be overly dependent on any one customer, supplier, vendor, uh, industry, anything like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. What have been some of the common mistakes that you've seen people do um, when it comes to their, you know, business finances? Like what are some of the things that you see that people come to you usually all the time? I'm sure it's a lot of my audience are going to recognize themselves in that. Well, the biggest mistake that that business owners make with business finances is is that they don't do anything. They just don't deal with it. Because uh, let's say that you went to work for for a big corporation. On day one, you are signing your your paperwork and you're checking a box somewhere that says you're going to buy health insurance, and you're checking some box that says you're now in the four hundred one k retirement plan, even if you don't know what it is. And at the very least, you as an employee, you're going to have a four hundred one k. And even if you're not managing it well, over decades, it's going to turn into a significant amount of money. You're going to have your health insurance. You're going to have some life insurance, blah, 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 blah. Well, as a business owner, you have to create all of that yourself. And it quite often happens to where business owners, they're so busy. And sometimes we want to act like we're busier than we are, but that's probably a whole other podcast episode. But we just- out to so true. <laughs> I, hey, I'm one of them too. I have to think I'm more important than I am by acting busy. But um, sometimes it's hard to think, you know, I just, I need to start this retirement plan, but I don't know what kind, I don't know who to call. I don't know which is the right one. And so there's just a paralysis by analysis and I just never get it done. And then I blink my eyes 10 years passes by, 15 years passes by, 20 years passes by. And even though maybe cash flow was there and would have allowed for it, I just never started. So the biggest mistake that business owners make is they don't start. Mm. I'm sure you have like some some crazy examples of things like that. And but what do you do when someone has had a business for a long time? Maybe they're, you know, for in their 40s, 50s, closer to their retirement goal, at least in terms of date. And all of the, those years have passed already. Like what can be done at that time? Well, and that's one of the reasons I became a certified value builder advisor, because there are many business owners who they just put off investing mm. outside of their business and they've lost the miracle of compounding interest. And now you're 45, 55, 65, and maybe your income and your business revenue is very adequate but your retirement accounts just are not big enough because you didn't start. 
So what's the what's the next thing that you can do? Well, you can start a, a reasonable investing plan. And of course you should, and you should work with me or somebody like me to help you to figure out where to put your money, which types of accounts, um, taxable, non-taxable, all that fun stuff. But now it becomes even more crucial to say this asset that I have control over this asset that I have literal control over is my business, so I need to make it as attractive as humanly possible to a potential buyer, especially if that's in within the next five to 10 years. So um, I actually started a website called allofmyassets.com, and it talks about how we neglect our biggest asset. And another thing that happens with business owners and everybody is everybody's stressing out about the stock market. You know, should I buy Amazon? Should I sell Amazon? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Or, or I had this stock and it went down by 10%. And, and yes, that is a legitimate concern. Um, our firm has a great investment, uh, 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 process, but still there are times where, where stock prices go down. But I personally, I don't have any control at all. If Amazon stock price goes down, I have zero control. Um, I have a lot of control over the value of my business. So if I'm putting processes and procedures in place, if I'm doing things like building re- streams of recurring revenue, which makes my business more marketable, if I'm having signed contracts by clients so that they're bound to uh, to be clients. So those things I have control over, what happens in the stock market from day to day, I have zero control over. I absolutely love that. Like really focusing when it comes to your money, just like everything else on things that you understand as well and things that you have that are within your locus of control and your business is definitely one of them and one of the big ones. I I love that. Now, David, I do have a question for you and maybe you have an answer. Let me know what you think. Okay. I tend to see business owners. So I always tell people business building is personal development on steroids. At the end of the day, whatever you're doing in other areas of your life tend to show up in the way that you manage the business as well. When it comes to personal finances versus business finances, do you see or have you seen a correlation between the way that a business owner will manage their personal finance versus the financial health of their business? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So a couple things there. Oftentimes you'll see a business owner um, and then you'll see they're they're married to someone who has a quote job. So you have kind of a steady salary coming in. And this is the way my family is. My wife has a salary coming in. And so that's for lack of a better term, steady money. And then my business has ups and downs just like any has you know incredible potential but also there could be times where there's no revenue or no no income so in those cases where there's kind of split personalities running a household there's a person with a, a steady salary you tend to see that the 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 personal finances are impeccable and then the business finances you know a lot of times entrepreneurs are just not the greatest at the behind the scenes business part of it so some of that may get neglected and I'm not confessing to anything specifically but that may have once or twice happened in in my career so um you know, entrepreneurs are just, they're so driven. I need to sell this thing. I need to hire someone. I need to do this. I need to do that. And sometimes, um, you know, the day-to-day finances get put to the back burner. It's not things as simple as as balancing checkbooks and things like that, which 
no no business owner needs to be handling their own books. They need to hire someone. Uh, you're crazy if you're not. And then oftentimes, kind of because opposites attract, uh, spouses and, and partners end up. Um, you know, you'll have one who's who's kind of a salaried employee type personality, and then entrepreneur personality, and that works out pretty well. Love it. Love it. Okay. Now, what are in, in your mind? What are the things that somebody should look at? Because I'm guessing people should not be going at this on their own. Like if they knew how to do this, they would they were, would already be doing it. Like, but what sh- tips can you give them in terms of figuring out who to go to, who would be a trusted advisor, what type of expertise that they need? How can they figure out who that person that they need is basically? So there's a couple couple key words to look at when you're looking at the financial advisor word. Num- number one is fiduciary. So you want to work with a financial advisor that's a fiduciary, and that's someone who, based on their licensing and maybe some of their credentials, like the CFP credential, I am obligated to put my client's best interests above my own and not consider my interests at all. So I am, there are other levels of financial advisors where I may be selling a product and legally I can consider, well, if I offer this product, I make XYZ commission. If I offer this product, I'd make a little bit more commission. So I'm going to offer that product. And and a fiduciary advisor uh, does not have that ability. So they they simply have to not consider what's in their best interest if somebody's a client. Now I can decide that, you know, maybe maybe I have a minimum account balance and I won't take somebody on because they don't meet a minimum. Um, but once they become a client, my interests are cannot be cannot be a consideration. So so if you're not working with a fiduciary advisor, um I, I wouldn't say you're making uh, an ultimate mistake, but you are putting yourself in a position where 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 the the, the advisor does not have to put your best interest um, ahead of them. Uh, some other things that I think are important are credentials. So the Certified Financial Planner Board, that's kind of the 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 most respected uh, 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 designation. It's several years of. St- since I got it years ago, which I'm glad about because uh, it was really hard when I got it. And now it's even harder. But you want to work with an advisor that has uh, as much um, uh, actual uh, studies as possible. Not uh, It's not that hard to get your, your licenses to begin with. But just because you have your licenses doesn't mean that you have like actual textbook, textbook knowledge. And then you know, the other thing is you have to like and trust the person. And some of that is difficult. Like, how do you like and trust a new advisor that you just meet on an initial initial phone call or an initial Zoom meeting? But uh, And that's one of the reasons why I do a podcast, because hopefully my personality comes out and the people who like me like me, and there may be some people that don't like me, and that's okay also. But you have to like and trust the person that you're doing business with, because with your financial advisor, you should be meeting once, twice a year or more, literally every year until you die, because it's that important. So you're going to be meeting with this person and you have to trust that they're going to put your best interest, but you also have to, you know, maybe want to not dread going to see them. I love it. Love it. No, I definitely, one of the things that I found intriguing and I was really excited about is the fact that you have a podcast because not a lot of financial planners or anyone in that field really that I know who offers the services actually have a podcast where 
you can learn and get to know them beforehand. And in terms of building your brand, I thought that that was fantastic. It's the Weekly Wealth Podcast. So if you're listening to this now, definitely go and check David's podcast after this. Uh, I think you're going to learn a ton. What are other ways, David, uh, for people to connect with you? I absolutely loved every bit of this interview. Very excited for people to learn more from you. Where can they find you? Well, there's a lot of places you could find me. Probably the best is if you check out my main website, uh, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. You can listen to some episodes of the show. I like to say that we're a financial planning podcast, but we don't talk about traditional financial planning topics every episode. So there are episodes where we'll talk about the new Roth IRA rules, things like that. But honestly, if you're using me or any other financial advisor, you're kind of paying them to know those rules anyway. So why do you want to listen to a podcast about it? But we talk about, um, we talk with a lot of business coaches. We talk you to have a more profitable life. So if you work with a business coach, it helps you to be more profitable, then you have more more money. And that's really a huge financial planning decision is like, how do I get my business more profitable? So check out my website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. Uh, you can look on Instagram and TikTok, uh, uh, just Weekly Wealth Podcast. And I also have a Facebook group, uh, the Weekly Wealth Podcast Facebook group. If you have any specific questions that you wanted to just bounce off of me, you can email me at david at parallelfinancial.com. So David at parallelfinancial.com. And I'm always happy to meet with anybody. I don't really have any geographic uh, restrictions for 15, 20, 30 minutes. Listen to what the 30,000 foot level concerns are with your financial situation. Uh, there may be some next steps. There may not be. We may not be a good fit. We may not even like each other. Who knows? But but I'm always happy to give anybody 30 minutes to see kind of where we go, because I understand I've, I've had times in my life where money's been under control and I've had times where money has not been under control and the times when money is under control, those are much better. So yeah, we, love we, it. we want much more of those times. Love it. Well, thank you so much, David. This was great. A lot of great information. I will make sure that you guys have all of these links in the show notes. So check them out there. Uh, David, thank you. It's great having you on. This was awesome. I appreciate the opportunity. There you have it. If you got any insight from today's show, guys, please make sure that you leave a review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That would mean a lot to me. Also, the conversation continues and I want you to connect with me on IG or Facebook at Kyrie Var. Now, this information is in the show notes, so you can grab it in there and message me with your biggest takeaway from today's show. All right. So thanks again so much for being here with me today. I will see you very soon.